And so Matthew chapter 6 speaks to the context, the perspective, and the content of prayer. And I just want to walk with you through that this morning. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, says this, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Let me pause just there for a second. Jesus was not saying that you should never and can never pray in public places. But in his day, there were these religious leaders who would pray loud and showy prayers in order to impress people around them. People were a lot different back in Jesus' day. I know no one would do that today. But in his day, people actually acted like this, that they would pray loud and showy prayers, not necessarily to God, but more to impress the people who were hearing. And Jesus is simply saying, prayer is about talking to God, not a tool to be used to increase your standing with people. But if you've ever prayed, you know, not many of us would say, well, I I pray to impress people. None of us would ever admit that. But if you've ever prayed out loud in front of people, whether it's in a church service or just at a dinner table, you know that you are conscious of the other people who are around you when you're praying. And sometimes that consciousness influences the words that you speak or how you speak them or what you say. Suddenly you find yourself speaking words that you never hear come out of your mouth, but you're theeing and thouing and thying all because this is how you're supposed to pray in front of people. It's not that Jesus is saying we can never and should never pray in public. He's not saying uh, that you should never do that. I don't even think he's saying you shouldn't be conscious of the people present because you have to be conscious of the people present. Oftentimes when you're praying in public or even when you're praying at the dinner table, you are praying on behalf of the group of people present. So to some degree, you're conscious of the people that are there. You're conscious of their concerns and what their requests would be, and you're putting voice to the group's words as you speak to God. But all Jesus is saying is, look, when you pray, make sure you're praying to God and not to impress the people around you. That prayer is not to be used in that way. The measure of our prayers is not so much how much we pray in public, but perhaps what our private prayer life is like. One illustration of this, one of the uh, former chaplain of the U.S. Senate, Richard Halverson of the United States Senate, tells a story of when he went to a breakfast one time. And a senator was speaking at the breakfast, and the topic of the breakfast was prayer in public schools. And, uh, and, and the senators that were at this breakfast were largely in favor of it. And so the senator at one point asked the group, who here is in favor of prayer in public schools? And most every hand went up, nearly every senator and man present raised his hand in the affirmative. He followed up with the question, how many of you pray daily with your own children in your home? This time only a few hands went up. It's interesting that all these that are in favor of protecting prayer in this public place, when asked if they pray on their, in their own homes, would not be able to say that they do. 
I think that's a little bit what Jesus is saying is don't be so concerned about how it looks like with your prayers in public. Be much more concerned about what's your relationship with God and your prayer life in private that you and God are the only one who sees. And so Jesus says, look, the context for prayer is not to impress people. The context for prayer is for you to be able to speak to God. Verse 7 goes on to say, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Jesus is saying many words doesn't mean more attention. And some people will. They'll have a mantra or they'll have a word that they just repeat over and over and over again. Maybe. And Jesus is saying, look, you don't have to come into God's presence and babble. You don't have to come into God's presence and overwhelm him with your number of words. Just come into God's presence and speak what's on your heart. In fact, another part of Scripture says, God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. And we don't have to come into God's presence and, and talk over and over and over again in order to get his attention like the child that is constantly at his mother's apron string saying, Mommy, 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 Mommy. And you heard him the first time, but he keeps talking. And we know Jesus is saying, look, you don't have to babble just to get God's attention. That's not what God is like. So don't come into God's presence and feel like you have to constantly use words to get his attention. More words doesn't mean more attention. Verse 8, continuing on the context, says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. This is an interesting statement to me. Because people often ask the questions, why do I have to ask God for things if he already knows what I need? Why? What's the point of praying? Doesn't God know everything? Doesn't God know it all? And can't he do it all? So why bother praying? Jesus answers this right before he's about to teach his disciples how to pray. He says, look, your father already knows what you need before you ask for it. Let's acknowledge that truth. But then he goes on and teaches his followers to ask for it. So what Jesus is saying is there is something about our relationship with God that even though he knows what you need, he still wants us to ask for it. He still invites us to ask for it. He still welcomes us into this process of asking for it. So there's a reason that God wants us to ask for it. I, I think there are many. I think it develops an attitude of, of thankfulness, of gratitude, I think it reminds us that God is the source of those good things that we receive in our lives. Sometimes when we just receive good things without asking for it, we think it was just a coincidence. Like the guy driving around the shopping mall parking lot looking for a parking space. And he drives around and around and around and he's asking God, please find me a parking space. Please find me a parking space. And finally he says, God, if you will find me a parking space, I will do whatever you want me to do and go wherever you want me to go. And immediately right in front of the store, a parking space opens up and the guy says, never mind God, I found one. <laughs> and we too often sometimes, if we don't have this relationship of asking and receiving, we think, ah, oh, it was just a coincidence. Ah, oh, I was just lucky. I just got a good break. But when we enter into the relationship of asking God for things, even though he knows we already need them, it, it deepens our relationship with him. It reminds us that he is our provider. I love giving good gifts to my children. I love surprising them with things they don't even know I got them. 
But I also love just to say yes when they ask for something. I love to be able to bless them when they ask for something. And that, that creates somewhat of a relationship with us. It deepens our relationship, right? I think my kids think I love saying no to them. But I really love saying yes. And I think God's the same way. I mean, as a parent, have you ever had woken up in the morning and just said, well, today's going to be a yes day? Now, I'm not sure you want to tell your kids this, but just maybe as a parent, you try this. And someday you wake up and say, well, today's going to be a yes day. No matter what they ask, the answer is yes. Want to play Legos? Yes. Want to play a game? Yes. Can I eat this? Yes. Maybe once in a while, we just need a yes day. I think God loves saying yes to his children. And something about our relationship with him is strengthened when we ask and he provides. I can't give you all the answers of why he does it that way, but I have Jesus right here saying, look, God already knows, and yet he wants you to ask anyway. George Mueller, who ran uh, orphanage in the 1800s, most famous because he ran this orphanage based on faith, never asking for funds, never asking anyone to support it, uh, but trusting that God would provide. Of course, never asking anyone except God. He wrote concerning his orphan ministry at one point, that the funds are exhausted. We had been reduced so low as to the point of selling those things which could be spared. Then a woman arrived who had been traveling for four days, bringing with her sufficient funds for the orphanage. Muir and his co-workers had prayed those four days for something God had already answered. Under these circumstances, Muir made the following observation, that the money had been so near the orphan house for several days without being given is a plain proof that it was from the beginning in the heart of God to help us but because he delights in the prayers of his children, he had allowed us to pray so long. Also to try our faith and to make the answer so much sweeter. And isn't that so often the case with God? And isn't that so often the case with us? That when we've asked God for something and he provides it, that it's so much sweeter. And we can say, yeah, praise God, he did this. And you know what it makes me want to do? It makes me want to talk to God more. This happened just recently, just this week. I had been praying about something in our home and, and in our life, and I, and I saw that it was beginning to be answered. And you know what it made me want to do? It made me want to talk to God more. And say, God, thank you for what you've done, and would you continue to move and answer? And this asking and answering deepens our relationship with God. But now Jesus moves from the context to the perspective that we should have in prayer and let me just read through the entire prayer uh, once, and then we'll look at some of the different content of the prayer that Jesus uh, says. Then, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's look at just the, the content of the prayer now that Jesus encourages us to pray. We have the, we have the context, we have the, uh, I'm sorry, the, let's start with the perspective. The perspective of prayer is in this first part. And let me just take it, this first line, uh, a couple words at a time. The first word is our. Our. He encourages us to start our prayer with our Father. 
Isn't it interesting that he doesn't start it with my father? Certainly Jesus could say this more than anyone could. And yet he starts the prayer with our father. Significant because so many of us, I think, come to prayer thinking, my father, my God. This language of the 19th and 20th century of my personal Lord and Savior really wasn't present until the last couple hundred years. Jesus starts out his prayer of our Father. Recognition that you are a part of a community. This is significant. Right off the bat, he recognizes that God is not my personal God to be concerned only about me and my needs. He is not some genie in a lamp here to grant my wishes. He's concerned about the larger picture and I should be as well. One man has said that God always answers prayers the way you would answer them if you had the information he had. God always answers prayers the way you would answer them if you had all the information that he had. He starts it out, our father. He's concerned about the larger picture. This word our is also a recognition on the part of the person praying that I am a part of a community. That I should be concerned with the other people who are part of the community. I should be concerned with the other people who call God Father and are followers of Him. It's a recognition that I am a part of the family that has the same Father. And so he starts out our, but then he goes on to that next word, Father. The God that you are praying to is not some apathetic force in the universe out there. Some transcendental force that you need to, that, that is not concerned about you. He starts out and says, our father. It's a term of affection. It's a term of saying that, that, that he, like a good father, is powerful, worthy of respect, loving, protecting, caring, and able to meet your needs. He is everything that every earthly father should be. And I don't know what your earthly father was like, but he wasn't perfect, I know that. And that Jesus is saying that our, heaven, our Heavenly Father, the one that you're praying to, the one you're calling out to, is the perfect Father. He's the one that your earthly Father should have been like. He's the one that should have been striving to be like. He is everything that a loving and good Father should be. And this is the one you are praying to. And so it sets your perspective. I'm not praying to some uncaring uh, God out there who might or might not hear me. I'm not praying to some cruel or harsh deity. I'm praying to our Father, a loving God who cares for His children. And so Jesus, right from the start, sets the perspective of what it is and who we are praying for. It also sets the perspective, when I say Father, it recognizes that I did not make myself, that I am not self-created, I come from Him. So I pray our Father. The final thing giving us perspectives, it says our Father in heaven. In heaven, God's dwelling place is outside of my current circumstances and outside of this world. He's living in the place where I cannot yet be, but one day hope to be, yet a place where my voice can be heard. It is a place that does not have the needs of the place where I now live. Heaven is a reality but am I living like heaven is a true reality? 
It's an interesting question when you come to this and you say, our Father in heaven, do you really believe that there is a heaven and are you living as if that is what's most important or as if this life is most important? Because that changes my perspective in prayer. If I come to prayer with the perspective of heaven and eternity, which is so much more uh, valuable and a lot, certainly a lot longer than the 70 or 80 or 90 years by God's grace I might have on this earth, well, that changes my prayers dramatically. Because what's most important? Heaven. And am I living like that's most important? So my perspective, first of all, when I come in prayer, I come with our Father in heaven. You're God of us all. You're a loving Father. And you're living in a place that I one day hope to be and want to dwell in with you that I one day will be through Jesus Christ. And that's the perspective I come to prayer with. It's not all about me. There is a loving Father who's going to do what's best. And he's dwelling in heaven outside of this place where I am now. And so I come to him in prayer. The right context, the right perspective. And then Jesus moves into content. And remember, this is not mantra, but a model. So our prayers start off with recognition who God is. That's the model. So maybe you come to prayer and maybe you say the words, our Father in heaven, but then you fill in with words that explain what that means. Father, as I begin this prayer time, I recognize that you are a loving God who hears my prayers. I recognize that I am a part of a larger body and you are concerned not just with me, but with all those who are your children. And then you come to the first line that says, hallowed be your name. We don't use the word hallowed very often. It just means holy. Holy, set apart, be your name. And when we say name, it doesn't mean just the word God or the names of God in Scripture. When we say name, it means the person of who he is. Someone wants to insult you, they use your name. Someone wants to slander you, they attach it to your name. Someone wants to say, oh, that snake Rick. Well, which Rick? Oh, Rick Piccarello. Oh, which Rick Piccarello? Oh, the one that lives in, in Lowell and works in Burlington. They, they use your name when they want to slander you or when they want to compliment you or lift you up they, they use your name to make sure they attach it to you so when it talks about hallowed be your name it's holy be who you are the person of who you are it, it's not just talking about a word it's talking about all that God is and if you cannot hallow that name then how could you certainly hold that person in any esteem at all his name is holy but this is a recognition and every petition also comes with a recognition Hallowed be your name is the, is the petition of, Lord, may your name be holy. But it's a recognition of the fact that we as a people have a tendency to treat his name as something less than holy. That we as a people have a tendency to treat God, his name, his person, in a kind of flippant manner. That his name is not always hallowed on this earth. That his name and his person is not always kept in esteem on this earth. So the petition comes with a recognition that this does not always happen. So we pray, Lord, may your name be holy. Lord, may you be holy in my life. Lord, may your name not be on my, on my lips as a word of frustration. Certainly as a curse word. But may your name be holy in my life. May you be recognized and lifted up as holy in my life. 
And it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Model, not mantra. So we, we come to this place and this is the prayer of alignment or the prayer of lordship. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's the recognition that things on earth are not as they should be. And it's a prayer that God would make it so that his love and justice and his grace and truth would come here on earth as they ought to be. It's a recognition that things are not always the way they should be in us and in our lives. When I come to God and I pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. I'm praying in a larger basis of, look, let your kingdom come to earth because things on this earth are messed up and they are not the way you created them and not the way they're going to be one day. But we need your kingdom to come now and we ask that it would come quickly and bring justice and bring grace and make it the way that it's supposed to be and that's our prayer. But it's also, but may your will be done, yes, on this earth, but also in my life. May your will be done. It's a recognition of saying, you know, many times in my life, my unspoken prayer is my will be done. The prayer I don't pray is, Lord, my will be done. And so I come to prayer and model, not mantra, and say, Lord, your will be done. It's like Jesus coming in the garden who said, God, you know, right before the cross, if there's any other way, give me another way. But if there's not, your will, not my will be done. And there's times in your life and in my life where we'll come to that place where we'll have to say, Lord, if there's any other way, my will, my preference would be for the other way. But my ultimately, my faith, my trust, perspective, right? He's the Father, is your will be done, not my will be done. Because ultimately, my faith and trust is in that your will is best. This part of prayer is about aligning our desires with God's desires, so often we go to prayer with the perspective of how can I change God, right? We go, into the, we go into our prayer closet, how can I change God? How can I change God? How can I make God change the things around me? When maybe the perspective we ought to be going with is what needs to change in me? Lord, thy will be done. Your will be done, not mine. What needs to change in me? And how does this happen? It goes back to the first part of the prayer where I trust that God is a loving father, this is a prayer that says, God, make the things I have to do be the things I want to do. Saw a movie a number of years ago, and it was a, um, it was a scene in it. It was a girlfriend and a boyfriend having an argument. And they were having an argument in, in, uh, in the kitchen about doing dishes. And, um, and, and, the, and the guy, you know, was saying he didn't want to do dishes. Uh, he'll do the dishes, but he doesn't want to do the dishes. And and the girlfriend said, I want you to want to do the dishes. And the boyfriend responds with, why would I want to do the dishes? And, and it's true, right? Why would I want to do this thing that is arduous and not fun and, and there's nothing good about Why would I want to do the dishes? But the whole perspective is, I want you to love me in such a way that you would want to do something that pleases me. That the have-tos become want-tos in the context of relationship. And it's like that with God, right? <laughs> Get me to the place where it's thy will be done so that the things that are on your heart become the things that are on my heart. The things that have to be done become the things I want to be done because I'm around you and I love doing the things that you love doing. 
And so I want to do the things that I have to do. They become want tos. It's like the times with my kids, you know, there's lots of times I'll do things with my kids. It's just not because I want to do them, because they want to do them. And, and, and more time around them, their wants become my wants. And more time around God, you know, the, his wants become ours. There's this show on television, I don't know if you've heard of it or watched it, called America's Funniest Home Videos. Some of you may have seen this. It's been on for a while. I hadn't watched it probably in 20 years until about a year ago when my kids discovered it. And now it has become liturgy in our household that every Sunday night around 7 o'clock, actually around 7.30 because I DVR it, but around 7.30 we'll start watching, we'll sit down and the family will watch America's Funniest Home Videos. Not because I like watching cats fall off couches. But because my kids laugh hysterically when cats fall off couches. And I love watching my kids laugh every time a cat chases a laser beam around a house or some kid falls off his bike or some person goes into a tree on a rope swing. I, I, it's not, I, I, could live, I could take it or leave it. It's not that important to me. But I love watching them enjoy it. And the more time I spend around them, their wants become my wants. And that's the prayer of thy will be done. The more time I spend around God, his wants become my wants. The more time I spend in his presence is how I become like him. And you get to the place where my will and thy will start getting a lot closer. And the only way that happens is spending time around God and time in his presence. And this is a prayer of alignment, and it's a recognition that often our lives are out of alignment with God and his plan. And so we pray, thy will be done. God, would you align us with your will? Um, give us this day our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. It's a prayer of provision. And it's a recognition of the needs of today. It's a recognition that I am a needy person, that I'm dependent on God, and that when my needs are met, it is a result of his provision. Augustine, 5th century theologian, says this. He says that daily bread is a metaphor for the necessities rather than the luxuries. It's me coming to my day and saying, there are needs that I have in my day today that I have am dependent upon God to provide for. In America, hunger is still a problem for some. And we who pray our Father must never forget that and must do what we can to alleviate and help that. But for most of us, we're not worried about where the next meal is going to come from. We're probably more concerned of what the next meal will be. In this world where our supply chain for food is so well developed and many social programs might exist, we might be tempted to forget that the food upon our table is a gift from God, that the table itself that it sits on is a gift from God. And so, Lord, my daily bread, give us today our daily bread. This is the place in the Lord's Prayer, model, not mantra, that there are needs for today that God and Jesus invites us to bring to God. Yes, food for the day, but perhaps wisdom for the day. Maybe you have a meeting or you have a person you have to talk to. 
Maybe it's wisdom of how to parent your children or a decision you have to make about work that might affect your daily bread. Whatever the needs are for this day, this is taking time in prayer to recognize that God is there to provide for our daily needs and we are dependent upon him. Yes, for provision, food, shelter, clothing, but for everything. For me, this prayer happens constantly throughout the day. It's a constant prayer and asking God, would you give me wisdom for this? Would you give me insight for this? Would you help me understand this? What's the right way to say this? It's a constant recognition that I am dependent upon God for everything good in my life. Forgive us our debts is the petition. It's a prayer of confession, but it's the recognition that I am a debtor. It's the recognition whether you say debts or trespasses, whatever your version that you might have memorized is, when I say forgive us our debts, I immediately am recognizing I'm a debtor. I have trespassed. I have sinned. I have committed things that need forgiveness. This is the time in prayer where I come and confess. Where I examine my heart and ask God to examine my heart. And I say, Lord, is there anything in my heart that is not pure, that is not right, attitude, word, or action that needs to be confessed? And I ask you, Lord, to forgive it. Model, not mantra, right? The mantra is just, Lord, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. The model is, Lord, I did this. And I need you to forgive it. Lord, I was wrong. With this person, with this action, I was unkind, I was, uh, I was hurtful, I caused pain, I was lustful, I, I, I was greedy, I was gluttonous, I gossiped, whatever it might be. Lord, I need your forgiveness. I was angry, I was, Lord, I need your forgiveness for whatever the thing might be. Model, not mantra. The mantra is, Lord, forgive us our trespasses. The model says, Lord, forgive me specifically this sin in my life and so we go to prayer and we ask God Jesus invites us to confess our faults to him and to ask for forgiveness but then it goes on to say as we have also forgiven our debtors perhaps the scariest part of the entire prayer oh how I wish And how I want to pray, Lord, help me to forgive others the way you have forgiven me. I wish Jesus had said it that way. That's so much easier to pray. Lord, help me to forgive others the way you have forgiven me. But that's not the way Jesus gave us this prayer. Lord, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. It's a blatant recognition that my relationship to other people and my lack of willingness to forgive them has a direct effect on my relationship to God and Him forgiving me. That if I refuse to forgive, that I cause an impasse in my relationship with God that hinders my prayers and hinders my relationship with Him. Forgive me for the, all the parent kid illustrations today but it just seems to apply so well in this area there's oftentimes though that I'll go to my kids when they have violated our relationship in some way they have done something they have broken the relationship and go to the kids and say look I understand you know 
you did this, but we need to restore the relationship. It needs to be fixed. So you asking forgiveness, me granting forgiveness. We can't just move on. The relationship needs to be fixed and restored. And that's what Jesus is saying is, is when we fail to give forgiveness to people in our lives, we've broken our relationship, not only with that person, we break our relationship with God who we ask for forgiveness from. And so it needs to be restored. And so Jesus instructs us to pray about forgiveness in this way. It's like the young boy saw a pack of cigarettes on the ground, decided to try them. He went to a field near his home, and after several fumbling attempts, he got one lit up. It didn't taste good. Indeed, it burned his throat, made him cough, but it made him feel very grown up. But then he saw his father coming. Quickly, he put the cigarette behind his back and tried to be casual. Desperate to divert his father's attention, he saw a billboard advertising a circus. And he said, can we go, Dad? As he pointed to the billboard, when it comes to town, can we go to the circus? The father quietly but firmly replied, son, never make a petition while at the same time trying to hide a smoldering disobedience. It's true in our lives too, right? We go to God, we try and, and don't look at what's going on over here, God. Just pay attention to what I'm asking you over here. Don't look at what I did or didn't do over here, how I didn't forgive this person. I just want you to forgive. Just pay attention to what's going on over here. Just, just pay attention to the words that I'm speaking to you. Don't pay attention to the actions I committed earlier in the week. And then Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven. There's an impact. How we treat other people and our actions towards other people, Jesus says, has a direct result on our actions and our relationship with God and our prayers. And there may be times when your prayers are hindered because you have failed to offer forgiveness to others in your lives. And we go to God asking forgiveness, yet we have failed to give it to others. And Jesus says, that's a problem. Finally, and lead us into, not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. A prayer of protection and a recognition that I am prone to fall into temptation. The words of the great hymn come to mind, Come thou fount of many blessings. O oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Every time we sing that song, when we sing it here, that's the line that always hits me. Prone to wander. We are, aren't we? Our hearts are, aren't we? We are just prone to wander away from God. We may be drawn back into his presence in that time of desperation where we say, God, if you're out there, do something. But so often, once he answers that prayer and once things are going well and once we're living on the mountaintop and everybody's healthy and all the bills are paid, we are so prone to wander. Sometimes we need those times of desperation. God gives them to us as a gift to bring us back to him because we are so prone to to wander away. And so Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one because we are so prone to walk right into temptation. 
I think this is a recognition of the evil within and the evil without. The Bible says that we sin when we are drawn away of our own lust and enticed. Those things within us, those desires within us that draw us away. Lead us not into temptation. Those things within us that would tempt us. But then it says, also deliver us from the evil one. Recognizing there's evil outside of us that would try and steal, kill, and destroy all the good things that God would have us to put in our life. And so there's a prayer of protection and a recognition that we are prone to wander. And so this is the model of prayer that Jesus gives us. It's not everything there is to know about prayer, but it's a model, I think, that in 2015, if you will take it to your prayer closet and use it as a model, not a mantra, if you have memorized the Lord's Prayer, and many of you have, I know, then I encourage you this week, even as you go into a prayer time, use each line as a model. Say the line and then use your own words and your own life and pray to God and use that as a model. If you have never memorized the Lord's Prayer, my challenge to you this week in the next seven days between now and next Sunday, memorize it. You can do it. My six-year-old daughter teaches it to her babies. You can memorize it. Memorize it and use it as a model, not a mantra, in your life. It's not everything there is about prayer. There's a lot of different aspects of prayer Jesus doesn't touch upon in this particular prayer. He doesn't touch upon the intercession. I think that's a huge aspect of prayer. Praying the needs of others and before others. I guess maybe that could be included in the our part that we are to intercede for others around us. Too often we throw out that line to people, I'll be praying for you. We, that rattles off our lips too easily, especially if we never follow up on it. But the I'll be praying for you is a huge gift to someone. What it says is, this conversation that you and I have been having, I will now continue the conversation in the presence of God. And that's what it says, that I will take your need before God the Father and pray for you. And so intercession is not covered in here. There's other things that aren't covered in here. But it's a model, not a mantra. And yeah, I pray that you would use it as that as well. It's an amazing gift that God hears us when we pray. It's not complicated. He hasn't made it so. But when we come in the right context, with the right perspective, and the right content, God hears our prayers and our words. It's not magic, but as we grow in prayer, I hope that you will move beyond the in case of emergency break glass prayers. Those are there. God hears you. And I am so grateful that he does. And often he does amazing things for people in there. But I want you to move to more of an in-depth prayer time in 2015 where you would take maybe a model like this and we'll use it in your prayer time. Another model that I've used, I'll give you just before uh, we close here. I've shared this one in past years and that's the Acts model. And sometimes this is even easier to remember. Uh, Acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, and the last S is silent. Silence. If you take this to your prayer time, adoration, time of worship, confession, time to confess to God my sin, thanksgiving, thank you Lord for what you've done. Supplication is just a fancy S word for requests and petitions. And then silence, listening to God. It's a great model for prayer as well. Not one you have to use. You don't have to stick right by it, but it's one that's been helpful to me as well. 
I'm going to ask our music ministry to come back and return. And we, in the last few minutes we have together, are going to close our service out, not surprisingly, in prayer. And if you'd stand with me this morning, our elders and their uh, wives, as they're here, are going to come forward to the front and be available for prayer. And as we close out in the last couple songs of worship, we uh, have these altars open. If you'd like to come and pray and perhaps you'd like to start off this renewed commitment to prayer by spending a couple minutes at these altars, maybe kneeling before God, and maybe there's one particular part of this prayer that you want to come before God today and pray. Maybe you have to confess something. Maybe you need to recognize his lordship and bring your will in alignment with his. Maybe you need to pray for the needs of the day. Maybe you need to ask him to keep you from temptation. Maybe you need to ask him to help you forgive someone else. But we want to close off this service in prayer. Or if you have a request that you'd like prayed for, you can come to our elders. They are happy to pray with you and pray for you uh, for whatever might be on your heart. But it would be inappropriate if we did not take a few minutes at the end of the service to spend in time of prayer and worship to the Lord. So our music ministry is going to play, and I'll give you a little sacred space to be able to spend in prayer to the Lord. Father, Father, we thank you that you are a loving Father. Thank you that you hear our prayers. Thank you that there is this wonderful gift that you have given to us, that somehow when we speak, you listen and you care. And so we come to you this morning with requests. We come to you with confessions. We come to you with thanksgiving. We come to you with worship. We come to you in prayer today. We ask that you would hear our prayers in the name of your son, Jesus.